Monday the 4th of March is International Human Papillomavirus or HPV Awareness Day. A couple of weeks ago, we also saw that reporting coming out of the Gauteng Health Department concerns that there is a spike in some sexually transmitted infections, which also included the human papillomavirus. But there's been a breakthrough in research in cervical cancer, which is said to it's going to bring hope to millions of women. And it's the work of South African PhD doctor, Dr. Carrie Ann Minna, as well as her colleagues from the Witt Donald Gordon Medical Center University. That's right here in 702 land. And joining us to speak to us about her research and the work that they've done at uh, the Donald Gordon Medical Center, joined on the line by Dr. Carrie Ann Minna, who's a doctor specializing in on oncological hypothemia. Dr. Minna, a very good morning to you. Welcome to Weekend Breakfast. Hi, good morning, Cook. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you very much for your time. Dr. Mina, please tell us about the research that uh, you and your colleagues have been working on around uh, the human papillomavirus. Yes, well, th- thank you. So the technology that we're using is called hyperthermia, um, and it involves heating the tumor just mildly, and this in turn sensitizes the tumor to treatments such as radiation and chemotherapy. Uh, it works especially well with tumors that are caused by HPV viruses. And this is because the HPV virus um, produces a specific protein called E-protein 6. And, and this protein is used in part of the uh, oncogenic process. So when the tumor is heated, uh, all the proteins are destabilized. And this E-protein 6 is destabilized as well. So, so HPV tumors respond quite well to this heating um, in that they're not able to function properly. And the heating also slows down their ability to repair uh, the damage done by the radiation or the chemotherapy. Mm. And doctor, is this the first time that we are seeing um, oncological uh, hypothermia being researched and also being used in this way? Yes, absolutely. So hypothermia actually has been around for quite a few decades internationally, um, but the uh, previous technologies are quite expensive and complex. So that's obviously inhibited the, the uptake of the technology in low to middle income countries or resource constrained settings. This technique that we're using uh, was released on the European market in 2006. And so we brought it in in 2013 to investigate it in our local setting. So it is the first large, uh, we call it a phase three trial, large trial on this particular technique. It's also the first time it's ever been re- researched in a, in a setting like ours in Africa um, and, and importantly on HIV positive patients. And uh, doctor, over the nine years that the research has been done, how many people were part of the study and why was it so crucial? I know you said there'd been some research in other parts of the world. I imagine those were, um, you know, like European countries. Why was it so crucial to um, have it tested here? So we've enrolled in this particular study, we enrolled 210 women in total. And we followed them all up for five years post-treatment. Uh, the, the need to have the trial done in South Africa in our setting, um, more than 80% of cervical cancer cases are in low to middle income countries. Uh, and 
this is largely because of the resource constraints surrounding treatment and screening and um, also the HPV infection and HIV infection increases the risk of, of cervical cancer greatly. So uh, also 80, more than 80% of the mortality and morbidity rates from cervical cancer are in low to middle income countries. Mm-hmm. So really what we need to do is research technolo- technologies that are affordable and feasible and can be integrated into the workflow in our setting. You know, it's great having fancy trials with fancy equipment in, in fancy countries, <laughs> but, but if we can't implement them here where the problem actually is, then it doesn't really solve the bigger problem globally. Um, so having the trial here really shows what this technology can do in our setting where it's needed. And in terms of the challenge of um, HPV or cerv- and cervical cancer in South Africa, do we know just how big uh, or how prevalent um, this particular type of cancer is in South Africa? Yes, yeah, so um, we, we have over 5,800 deaths from cervical cancer every year, it's, it's estimated. Um, I, I mean, it's estimated that just in in Gauteng we have over five thousand eight hundred new cases being diagnosed every year. So, uh, in South Africa, uh, a woman has a, a lifetime risk of developing cancer of one in forty two. So that's that's quite a high risk, um, and it's it's yeah much higher than than internationally. Mm. You mentioned that one of the challenges with regards to how we treat um, uh, cervical cancer, how we respond to the numbers, is that often um, affordable care isn't available. Is this uh, research that you've been working on for almost 10 years now, um, is it more affordable? And how, how, because it sounds quite sophisticated, and so how is it able to both be as effective as you've been describing, but also be affordable if it is affordable? So we published um, three-year, when we hit three-year follow-up with, with the patients, um, we published a paper showing that we almost tripled the three-year disease-free survival rates of the patients. And what this means is that if we have such a higher rate of disease-free survival at three years, we obviously have much fewer ladies coming back um, with recurrence or residual de- mm-hmm. de- uh, disease. Mm-hmm. And this means that they don't obviously require follow-up treatment. And and the first line of treatment being radiation and chemotherapy is much more affordable than the second line of treatment that you'd have to have if you have a recurrence because the second line of treatment involves more complicated and expensive chemotherapy and more intensive chemotherapy. So if we are lowering the numbers of, of women coming back for r- repeat treatment, then we're actually saving money. And we published this in our paper. It's called a cost-saving analysis. And we showed... Um, that both in the state and the private sector, we would be able to improve outcomes while also over three years re- reducing the cost. And and so is it the kind of technology then uh, or the kind of research that you're hoping will be used both in the private and public sector? Absolutely. Um, absolutely. And, and not just in South Africa, in, in Africa as well. Um, we were actually included a few years ago in the World Health Organization's compendium for in, of innovative technologies for developing countries. Um, and they also assess for feasibility, um, cost, as well as um, clinical 
uh, efficacy. Mm. And so now that the um, the um, the study is the study done or is it continuing? Um, because it, it is nine. It has been. Uh, you did say it's been since twenty thirteen. So almost ten years that you have been doing this work, looking at the research. Is there another? I guess another stage that you're not going to enter with this research. So this study is done. We followed all the women up for five years. We've got the results. Um, we are presenting the, the full set of results um, in May. Um, so, so this one has been closed. So the next step is to, to research other types of cancers in other locations um, and, and sort of expand the indications for, for the use of this particular technology. Tell us a little bit more about how, you know, this technology that's now been developed could potentially work um, for other conditions and other cancers. So the same way, there's other cancers that are caused by HPV virus, not just cervical cancer. Um, HPV virus infects the the surface, where where the the cells that it comes into contact with, so the skin and the um, lining of the mucous membranes. So it can cause cancer in the the throat, um, uh, cervix, vagina, anus, um, as well as penile cancers. Um, so any of those cancers could potentially be treated with hypersemia combined with radiation. But then uh, the the technology isn't restricted to HPV cancers. So although HPV cancers respond well because of this particular protein, all cancers. Um, need various proteins to repair from the damage done by radiation and chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. So the addition of this treatment to to any radiation protocol for for any cancer has the potential to improve the the outcome um, by slowing the cell's ability to repair, but also by warming the tumor, we increase the amount of oxygen or blood flow to the tumor, which increases the oxygen, and this makes radiation much more effective. As part of uh, the study, doctor, you also included um, HIV, people living with HIV. Um, Why was that important? Um, What is the, I guess, the link between um, the human papilloma virus and um, HIV? And what did the research tell us? Um, Well, your research tell us when you included the the, um, uh, participants who are are living with HIV. So... Um, most, most sexually, almost all sexually active women will be infected with HPV during their lifetime. But in most women, the immune system will be able to overcome this, this infection. Over a period of 15 to 20 years, persistent infection can cause changes in the cells which result in the development of cervical cancer. Now, this happens much faster in women who are HPV, sorry, HIV positive. Um, this this process of, of developing cancer can happen in five years in these women because they're immune compromised. So the women who are living with, with HIV are six times more likely to develop um, cervical cancer from HPV infection. And that's why it's critically important to include these women in, in the trial uh, because we have a high incidence of HIV and cervical cancer is strongly linked with with um, uh, HIV infection and also there's a concern that uh, HIV positive not just women but patients in general don't respond as well 
to oncology treatments like chemotherapy and radiotherapy because these um, affect their immune system. So often they can't have the right dose of chemotherapy. Um, so including them in this trial to see if the, this subset of women who often have a poorer prognosis, um, we wanted to see if we could give them a better chance as well. And what our results showed is that the women who are HIV positive who should have a, a poorer prognosis or outcome compared to HIV negative women, they actually had the same outcome as their counterparts, the HIV negative women. So mm. we really had great results in that subset of women as well. Mm. And um, uh, doctor, in terms of, you know, the, the, the research that you've done um, looks at, I guess, uh, is about the treatment. So once someone is diagnosed with um, HIV and they potentially now um, have cervical cancer, in terms mm. of the treatment, there's often been quite a bit of discussion about, well, how do we... Um, prevent um, HPV? How do we prevent certain cervical cancers? Um, where are we with regards to research and development on that? I know in South Africa, we do have the vaccine, um, which is also available um, to um, certain ages of teenage girls, again, to protect them as well. Is that still our best defense against yeah. HPV infections? Because you were saying, most women who are sexually active will at some point um, have an HPV infection. So what is our best form of defense at the moment against that? So the World Health Organization has sort of developed a global response to um, HPV infection um, and, and cervical cancer. And their goal by 2030 is for 90% of the girls around the world to be vaccinated um, against HPV and 70% of women to be screened um, between the ages of 35 and 45 and for 90% of women with cervical disease to have access to treatment. And these are very, very high goals. Um, so this, uh, this would be amazing if we could get this right by 2030. But at the very least, yes, so vaccination against the HPV virus would be the best line of defense um, because then whether or not you come into contact with it, um, you shouldn't become infected with the virus. Following that, um, oh, and, and it, it's important that vaccination happens before one becomes uh, sexually active. So in South Africa, that could potentially be as young as well, nine years old. So screen, uh, sorry, vaccination should happen very young. Um, in, in cases where one hasn't been vaccinated, screening is incredibly important. We should at least have one pap smear by the age of 35 and another one by the age of 45. But, but really, in an ideal situation, women should be having a pap smear every five years from the age of 30 onwards. And if they're HIV positive, they should be having a, a, a pap smear every three years from the age of 25 onwards. Because what a pap smear does is it detects the abnormal cells in the cervix before they even develop into cancer. And then it's, it's quite a, a simple um, and easy process to, to remove those abnormal cells before they become cancerous. Unfortunately, I mean, we do have, as you said, the, the rollout program for the, um, the vaccine, mm -hmm. but we're, we're not quite close to vaccinating 90% uh, of our girls yet. Um, and screening is also... Well, two problems. We need more facilities for, for screening to happen, but also we need awareness. We need women to be aware that they should be going for, for pap smears. And so I think awareness campaigns would be important. 
And you mentioned that in terms of the vaccine, it needs to be given before one is sexually active. Once mm. one is sexually active, you are not able to take the vaccine. Well, once you're already infected with the HPV virus, uh, then there's, there's, the, the vaccine isn't as in, uh, effective. Yeah. Yeah. And so would you need, if you were then already sexually active, you want to take the vaccine, would you then need to get tested to see if you've previously been infected or are currently infected? And so, yes. and if you yes. aren't, then you could take the vaccine. Yes, absolutely. One could do that. Absolutely. Mm. One can request on the pap smear. So the pap smear detects, um, the, analyzes the cells of the cervix to see if they're abnormal. But you can also add a um, test to the pap smear to check for um, uh, HPV virus. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. yeah. Doctor, uh, I see you're going to be announcing your results at uh, a leading radiation uh, conference in Glasgow. Um, yes. Tell us, uh, tell us about that. So it, it's called ESTRO, the European Society for Therapeutic um, and Radiation Oncology, and it is uh, next to the American Society, the largest radiation oncology society um, or meeting uh, in the world. It happens every year in Europe, and yeah, we have been. Um, yeah, we'll be presenting our results. Uh, Orally, um, in May, so I'm very excited about that. <laughs> when is the conference taking place, Doctor? A pardon, Cooks, you broke up. I was saying, when is the conference uh, taking place? Uh, the, the 3rd to the 7th of May. Mm -hmm. Okay, that sounds uh, fantastic. Uh, Doctor, thank you. thank you so much for joining us uh, this morning and uh, congratulations on um, you know this breakthrough after many, many years of work and research. Thank you very much for having me. It's been lovely talking to you. Thank you. Thank you so much. That is Dr. Carrie-Anne Minar. She is a doctor specializing in oncology hypothermia. Her nine-year study, her and her colleagues at the Witz Donald Gordon Medical Center has made a breakthrough in uh, the treatment of cervical cancer and the human papilloma virus. They'll be presenting now at a leading radiation oncology conference um, in two months' time. Wait. Yes, it is in two months' time because we're in May and um, that's going to be taking place in Glasgow.